Welcome to the show, Margot, Lisa, Jonathan, Carolyn, and Jason. You're all going to share your thoughts on all of the discussion around parenthood today. And I'm so grateful for all of you for joining us. So let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Let's start with you, Margot. Yeah, of course. No, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, my name is Margo Waldi, and some of uh, you may know me as Cargo Margo. Uh, currently, I'm a director of sales for a supply chain company, NFI Industries. I handle all of our imports, exports, fulfillment, uh, drayage. And so I'm in the field a lot. I'm traveling at least every two to three months. And I also have a live LinkedIn show. So very busy. Uh, but the highlight of my life is raising three young girls with my husband, uh, Larry Waldy. Uh, we have Maxwell, who is nine, Stella is eight, and Cora is two. Uh, it's been a wild ride juggling, you know, two fulfilling uh, careers uh, with passionate individuals that want to move up within the organization and uh, make change, right? Uh, so there's that dynamic as well. but. Uh, you know, the first thing I just want to share with you all is that the best views are from the highest climbs. Mm -hmm. And so when you think of all those times that you grew the most or that you learned the most and expanded the most as an individual, it's usually those struggles. And so it's just going to be like anything else to me, parenthood. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing uh, more about uh, who I am and, and my family. Thank you. Awesome. I'm super excited for you to be here. I mean, having three children and an awesome career. I mean, there's lots to talk about today. So appreciate you for being here. Jonathan, all the way from Sydney, Australia. Uh, I feel it's every time I jump on a show, I always feel like I have to say good day. Yeah, going. Uh, yes, just, you do. Uh, and your just... accent gets um a lot thicker. I'm a lot more a lot more Australian as I uh, talk to people from overseas but it's a pleasure to be here it's a pleasure to meet everybody I'm Jonathan Kempe I'm the CEO of Ships during the day uh, which is a marketplace that operates inside supply chains for shippers and freight forwarders uh, I'm the proud host of Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia Pacific um, but probably even more prouder as a dad I have four children seven five three and one Two older boys, two younger girls, uh, which is a bit of a handful. And I'm married to the beautiful Rosanna, who's a New Zealander, um, a Kiwi, uh, who I love very much. And who is an incredibly patient and creative woman um, and does a fantastic job of taking the bulk because I'm a startup founder. I spend a lot of time invested in my baby, which is my company. Um, Rosanna takes a lot of the bulk of parenting. Um, and I see the effect of that. Um, I'm very conscious of that as a husband. Uh, and try to be a, a present father as well for my children's life. Um, love my kids to bits, but they do drive you a little bit crazy. So I'm looking forward to this discussion and, and really to bring a bit of realism to the parenthood discussion in totality. Um, sometimes it can be a bit of a glossy pamphlet. Sometimes it can be gloom and doom. And I think there's actually some happiness that you can find in the, in the medium in between. Well, I think I had a bit of sweat roll down my forehead when you said you had four children <laughs> just saying I mean from somebody yeah, who didn't have her own and yeah I remember someone children. <laughs> I remember someone describing that said one one child you play two on one uh, if you have two children it's uh, you play the man or you play just one parent to one child um, and then when you get to three or four you're kind of playing zone defense which is you, you try and work out 
who's in the most pain or who's going through the most critical problem and you demarcate them out and be like, well, that person's bleeding, but this person's concussed, so I need to attend to it, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's a bit more tricky. You get your hands full a lot more often. Prioritization, though, right? Yes. That's right. Transferable skill. Transferable that's, skill. That's exactly that's exactly <laughs> which, right. which is what we're going to be talking about, too. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, Carolyn, over to you. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. Hi, I'm Carolyn. Um, I am from I'm from Chicago, but I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I am actually in the accounting industry. So I work for Audit Miner, which is an accounting startup, and I do all their marketing. Nice. Um, and I identify as cis, white, and straight. Um, and I'm a younger perspective. I'm 22, but I'm really here to talk as a Gen Z. And my mom raised me while working. So I'm kind of the child perspective, if that makes sense in the workforce now. So I'm excited to be here. It makes so much sense. And so glad that you're here to provide that perspective, because that's what Blended is all about, is for people from different walks of life and different have different perspectives come together to have this conversation so that we can, you know, learn about where you're coming from, where I'm coming from. You know, I, like I said, I don't have children of my own, where Jonathan is coming from with four just I, I keep having to say that again. Four. But then we also have Lisa, Jason, and Margot who have three kids each. I mean, collectively, how many is that? <laughs> that is six. It's a soccer team. <laughs> we have a, a soccer, soccer team with a few subs on this call. Okay. <laughs> exactly we right. all lived yeah. in the same place. But anyways, <laughs> thank you so much, Carolyn. Jason, over to you. Hi guys, I'm Jason DeSarl. I am the brand director for some uh, publications that operate within the supply chain space. Um, I identify as a white male um, and I live in Cleveland, Ohio with three uh, wonderful kids, uh, 12, 11, and seven. They're boy, boy, girl. Um, like Jonathan, I absolutely love being a parent. It truly is the highlight of my life. Um, involved in so many things from sports activities all the way to Girl Scouts. So constant busy, busy, busy. Um, and I'm really excited to be here to talk to you all today about the topic of parenthood um, and women in the workplace. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I've worked with so many amazing women throughout my career, and there are two in my life now that are wonderful. Our chief revenue officer, her name is Amy, and then my uh, my right hand or left hand, depending on the day, Marina Mayer, who many of you probably know. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's our content director for the group. So, really excited to be here and share my perspective and um, uh, opinions, and look yeah. forward to it. Yeah, I love it. And it's important that we get, you know, a perspective from, you know, somebody who manages women um, and has managed women and, you know, what that perspective is. What does that look like, you know, especially from the top down? So super excited that you're here. And absolutely, last but not least, Lisa Fenton. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me here today and joining everybody. I appreciate that. 
I'm a supply chain management professional, and I also champion moms who've had gaps back to work. I identify as she, her, and I live east of Sarah, just east of Toronto. Um, we have three boys who are uh, at the later stage. They're in university, so 18, 21, and soon to be 25 next week. Um, I spent many uh, days, weeks, nights, evenings at pools, arenas, music studios, and um, all of the above, or sometimes all three of them in the same day. So I totally uh, appreciate this discussion about parenthood and moms in the workforce. So thank you very much for having me today. Awesome. I'm excited to have you here. And I don't know if most folks know this about me, but I am a stepmom. <laughs> and I have two bonus children that are 21 and 28. Um, and I've been in their lives for quite a long time. And um, to tell you the truth, it's actually one of the the best, uh, the, the highlights of my life as well, being a step parent. And so I am representing all the step parents out there um, because it is definitely also one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my whole entire life as well. So let's get started and have you all share your experience as parents, maybe as working mothers or working fathers, because I think experience is really what this is all about. So why don't you give us a glimpse into the ups, downs and in-betweens um, and let's just sort of talk about that. So Carolyn, I want to get your perspective first as a young professional and with a working mom. Um, talk to us a little bit about what your experience was and what your experience was like for your mom. Yeah. So, um, I'm an only child. So I grew up in Chicago and my mom climbed the corporate ladder while she raised me. So she's wow. in the insurance industry. Um, and she really worked hard in that industry while she had me. And so I kind of learned growing up that you can do it all. You can be a mom and you can be successful in your career. And I took that with me um, coming into the working world. So it's been exciting and I want kids in the future. And so to see that, I think it's becoming more common to have both. And I think it's becoming more accessible for women. It's exciting, but I think there's a, still a lot of changes that need to be made to make it easier for women in the professional world to have children and balance that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mentioned this earlier off camera, but I was told <laughs> at one point in my career that if I had children, then I just would never have to worry about a career because I'd be so doting on my children. <laughs> and it was, it's, it irked me so bad. I mean, obviously I'm talking about it like 15 years later. So it was obviously something that did not sit very well, but I'm glad that you're, you're talking about it from that perspective and talking about the fact that you saw your mom raise you as well as have a successful career in insurance. And that's what we need, right? It's not just about um, who we are in the workplace, who we're working for, but it's also, you know, who we're inspiring along the way as well, which I really like. Thank you so much for sharing that. Jason, what about you? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, some of the ups, downs, and in-betweens of of my uh, life as a parent, um, you know, ups, I, I seeing your kids um, grow and achieve goals is that they set out that you set out. Uh, as a parent, I think is one of the most rewarding things. And I mean, I'll give you an example. My oldest is uh, a travel baseball player. I think Sarah, you and I were actually talking about that in, yeah. uh, in Atlanta, but 
you know, to see him set goals for himself and hold himself accountable, I, I think is, is one of the highlights for me as a parent. Um, you know, one of the downsides is I don't get to spend enough time with him. You know, I'm, I'm working all the time. I travel a ton. Um, and the downside is that that FOMO, like I, I don't like missing the things, the, the concerts that Lisa mentioned, um, you know, games that they have or just important moments in their life that you miss out on being a working parent. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's my perspective. The in-betweens, I guess, would be the, the day-to-day, right? So, um, you know, there's, <laughs> there's times when they're frustrating and you're ready to, to lock them in their room and throw away the key, but, uh, <laughs> luckily the fun moments outweigh those moments. And, um, <laughs> It's rewarding to be a parent, challenging, uh, especially as a working parent. And mm. I uh, truly appreciate what women do coming back to work or staying at work, um, you know, when they when they have kids. It's it's amazing what what some of the women that I work with balance. So thank you for sharing that. I have two questions for you out of that, though, because a lot of times mm-hmm. we hear about mom guilt. Mm-hmm. But we don't necessarily hear about the dad guilt. So talk to us about that. Like, how have you navigated through that? And how do you find the balance? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, I guess my motto would be you can only do what you can do. Right. So um, I, I have I have a full time job and I have responsibilities that uh, are are need to be taken care of. So, I mean, technology, amazingly, has been a great thing. So, you know, if I'm missing one of my son's games, I get to watch it on my mobile device. I get to Mm. see pitch by pitch. If I'm missing my daughter's play or uh, my other son is into music, my wife sometimes, if it's not too intrusive on others, she'll FaceTime me doing that. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's the best way that I have found to be a part of the moments when I can't physically be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it affects you as a parent. If, if you're an involved, engaged parent, you want to be there with your kid. You want to experience it with your child. And, you know, going back to what I said before, I, I, I just love seeing them grow. There's so many moments where I'll, I'll say or think something or I'll think something and then I'll say it and, and they'll question and I'll be like, well, that's a really good question. I don't know why I think of it that way. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's unique being a parent. I, uh, that is, I really that is a way better response than I used to get because I said so. It just <laughs> goes because I said so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I do that's that what too. I used to get. <laughs> <laughs> I do that too. It depends on the situation. Yeah. I try to keep those, you know, in the pocket. <laughs> All right. As long as you don't use them as much, because mine was 100% of the time. So as long as you're not doing it 100% of the time, you're actually answering the questions, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a balance. A balance. We're, we're making progress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Lisa, over to you. So talk to us about your experience of being a working mom and then also helping other moms get back to work. Yeah, so definitely um, the challenge was myself getting back to work. And that's kind of partly what led me to help other moms get back to work because I can empathize with their situation. I went through that process of being home. Fortunate, I was fortunate to be home with our guys for 12 years, which I'm very thankful and grateful for that time. Um, but when you go to get back to work, it's a huge, uh, huge challenge. Just how do you do it? Um, 
you know, what kind of support do you need? What kind of plans do you got to put in place? So many questions and, um, you know, how to present yourself, how to fight for that value. Because <laughs> uh, lots of times we as women do not fight for our value. And so, yeah, strategies of how to do that. But um, the neat thing is I've been able to kind of let my boys see this, you know, progress through the whole process. So they're like, wow, no, I totally get this gap, this pay gap. And they're very young to notice that, you know, my mom's gone through this challenge and, you know, I need to be supportive when I get out in the workforce and champion, um, you know, ladies or women beside me who are going to come up and experience some of what my mom might have experienced. So that. yeah. Yeah. So you've been able to influence your children to make the change and the impact that we want to see in the industries, in the workforce. Here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> three of them so they've <laughs> so what was your experience like because obviously you left the workforce three times and so what did that look like for you um actually I I only left the workforce once so okay when we had our oldest um way back you know 25 plus years ago yeah, um, yeah so maternity uh was less at that time I think it was maybe six months or something but um we as a family decided after we had our first son that I would not go back. Um, unfortunately, I had emergency uh, operation, which kind of led a little bit into that decision. But, um, you know, we had two more kids after and it just didn't financially make sense to go back. It wasn't it wasn't something that, you know, I would have been paying out more for care than I would be bringing in. So yeah. and we didn't really want somebody else, you know, spending that time with our kids like we had our kids to enjoy them, to, you know, to go through the process of parenthood <laughs> with them, right? Not for putting them in care, uh, which I know, you know, some people have to do that that uh, option. They don't have the choice. And I was fortunate to be able to uh, be home with them. But yeah, it was a huge, huge challenge to get back into the workforce and, uh, and go from there. So yeah, lots of ups and downs and <laughs> lots of challenges along the way. <laughs> How many years was it for you to get back into the workforce? And what was that like for you? Yeah, so um, we we kind of determined around 2008, 2009, the greatest time to try to get back <laughs> in the workforce. During the <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I made a plan that, uh, you know, I was going to get back in within a year. And so I did some steps to facilitate getting back within a year. And I actually did accomplish getting back in uh, within a year, which I was pretty happy about. Um, nice. But then when I did get back, there was more challenges because I'd never experienced working and having three young kids and how was this gonna how was this gonna play out? It was uh yeah, it was really interesting. So more challenges after I got back into the workforce, definitely. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about some of those transferable skills because you were really, really good at taking the transferable skills that you um learned and acquired during, you know, taking care of your children and then turning it into what you could do for an organization in the workforce. So I love that. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, Jonathan, I know you have something to say about the pay gap that uh, Lisa was talking about. So I'm going to head over to you. Um, but also talk to us about your experience. I mean, as a founder, you're super busy. I mean, everybody's super busy, um, but you're wearing many, many, many hats. And I'm sure 
dad guilt is prominent for you as well. So talk to us about that balance and your experience and then, you know, your thoughts on the pay gap that I know you want to tell us all about. Sure. Um, <laughs> dad, dad guilt, what an interesting concept. Um, it's probably one of those things that you feel and you feel intensely for short periods of time, but you have to manage. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been open with my children about why work is a functional part of our family. Um, okay. Dad goes to work so that we can have stuff. Um, that's kind of the, the basic summary of it. Supply chain. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. But not just to move to. stuff, but it's also like the, the the things that we enjoy in terms of the things that cost money generally come from the effort that I put in at work. So there's this direct correlation between um, why it's necessary for me to do that, but why it's also hard. And it's important as I communicate that to my children that I don't always want to go. Um, it's not one of those things that I want to um, directly apply or directly apply myself to on a daily basis. I sometimes feel reluctant. I sometimes feel angry that I have. And I sometimes feel trapped. Um, and I I make sure it's it's and it's, I think it's important for them to know that um, I love spending time with them and I would always spend more time with them if I could. However, we have a necessity in our life in order to live. And uh, that comes through the work that I do. Um, so hopefully they see that that there's a, a struggle involved with um, balancing those things well. Um, and I say that because intergenerationally, my dad, who is quite my, my own father, who is quite entrepreneurial, um, would say um, pretty explicitly, he'd actually overtly say this, I love you um, through the things that I give you. Um, and I think that's an interesting perspective and, and probably was part of the older generation's way of it. And keep in mind, these these folk are the ones who are the children of those parents who survived the war of multiple wars and had usually very little um, growing up. And so my, my own dad's way of loving was to provide. And I know that that is a really noble thing, but it can also be a real trap. And so I realized early on in my own parenting that I wouldn't just be someone who was completely consumed with providing. I wanted to be a present father. But there's a real wrestle involved with that because, you know, being a founder, I, I jokingly say my, my company is my fifth child and it really is true. Um, and so um, how do I navigate the time that I spend and invest in that to do that well, to honour the investment people have put in the company, uh, to commit myself to the task at hand, but at the same time be present in my family? And I think for any parent, I'm sure those listening along would be smiling along at this. That is an eternal wrestle, getting the balance of that right. And uh, and sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't. Um, just in regards to pay gap, I mean, my wife should get paid exponentially more than she does at a grand total of zero dollars for being a working mum. She um, she works full time on being a parent, and uh, which is an incredible profession. Um, and so just a shout out to any of the mums out there who are slogging it out with their children. Um, I, I think the workforce has a lot to say um, about compensating women, not just monetarily, but in terms of flexibility in their roles. I think we haven't been very creative in allowing women um, to participate in the workforce. And I think uh, if I could push something back to those, and I'm a, a company owner myself, I've employed women in the past, so I include myself in this. We need to pull our socks up with how we engage with women in the work, work, workplace and give them options that allow them to balance if they're a primary carer, their role as a carer, uh, as well as being involved in the workforce as well. So 
that's my that's my comment about it. Yeah. Thank you for that. But I do want to bring something up that you mentioned in an ep- episode, I think at the beginning of Blended, it's like episode three or four or something like that about gender equality and how you were talking about how women go off for maternity leave and uh, directly correlates to the amount of money that they can make. Because while they're off for maternity leave, men are actually on a trajectory upwards. Right. So just talk to us a little yeah. bit about that, because I think that's an interesting point that we have to take yeah, a look it's, at. It's an interesting point. And I, I say it with um, care and respect, because there's, there's folk who use statistics and mathematics to shame people. Um, but, but I wanted to mention that the inevitability, if, if any person in the workforce steps away for some period of time, they will inevitably lose the chance to advance their career, to gain more skill, and subsequently to get paid more. Um, I remember talking to the uh, founder of a law firm, and he said, I would chew off my right arm to keep the brilliant young women who want to be lawyers during their 30s, but they all go off, or the majority of them go off to be parents, um, and to be mothers in particular. Um, and he said that because he recognised that women were generally more skilled in the role, um, but he couldn't pay them enough to stay. And I thought that was an interesting point because what it means in, say, the legal profession, and I won't say this is a blanket statement, but it happens in various parts of the world and is pronounced here where I'm in Sydney. Um, if men stay on for, say, an extra 10 years, let's say it's just 10 years, and a, and a, a female equivalent steps out, maybe she goes on to be a parent, um, then they're 10 years ahead. They've put in 10 years more effort and energy. They've got 10 years more connections. They're probably going to get paid an exponentially greater salary at the end of that 10-year period than the, than the woman would. And that's where a lot of the disparity for the gender pay gap comes in because there's this whole period of time where a large chunk of women step away from the workforce um, and subsequently lose out on a whole bunch of those networking opportunities and, and subsequent pay that comes with that. Um, so it's an interesting statistical anomaly in some instances, but I do want to acknowledge that in a lot of uh, instances, um, structurally inside companies, they haven't accommodated that. Um, and when the gap is pronounced, it can lead to a whole bunch of tension and, and other problems. Thank you for that, because I think it was very important for us to sort of shed light on it, because it's not something that we talk a lot about, but I think it's important for organizations to think about. Right. How do we honor those who are parents, um, regardless of who's taking the time off? Because now we have we do have men that are taking paternity leave as well. Um, and so how do we how do we honor that? How do we find that flexibility? So I appreciate that. Margo, you have been nodding like crazy. Okay. <laughs> I want to come to you. <laughs> okay, so I really want to talk about what I was going to talk about, but I have so many. You guys have mentioned so many amazing things. Let's and so do it. All okay, good. so I was ineligible so I took three months 12 weeks off with each each child and that's it during that time okay wait can I just can I just highlight that in Canada I think we get like a year to two years like the U.S. maternity leave is really not okay people were calling me every day while I was in like the delivery room like doing pricing like and emails because because in our meetings, people would brag and it's that mom guilt. You know, when I was delivering, I was still answering my emails. And, <gasps> you know, when I was breastfeeding, I was still, you know, I was pumping between sales calls. Why in the is car. that a badge of honor? I know. I know because you don't realize. And then even I remember making sales calls. I had to pull over and throw up in a bag. I was pregnant and people were looking at me and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not drinking. 
<laughs> this is right. morning sickness. And then you, you know? feel like you have to explain yourself. See, this is what's all sorts of, I'm glad we're talking about this, Margo, please go yeah, on. Yeah, but, but not being eligible for commission. So there was a year that I actually uh, secured a massive multi-million dollar rollout at this, this account and I was on leave. And so I couldn't, I wasn't eligible for president's club. And so they said, but you were nominated, you know, wow. you know, so congratulations for that. And, you know, my, my stomach, I, I felt sick because I thought I'm on leave and I did a record numbers being out in, and in sales. Doesn't that kind of correlate to anything, but okay. Uh, you know, and, and now you're seeing too, where the moms want to focus on the career and the dads are okay about staying home. And so we have a couple leaders in our organization that have that model and it's, it's amazing, but she talks about how when her and her husband go out, the first question is always, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they're like, wait, hold on. You work and he stays home. Mm-hmm. But exactly in that tone too. Right. I want to point this out. It's not just the question. It's also the tone of how you're asking that question. We need to be better people. Absolutely. Because it's, it depends what works for you. And, and, you know, it's finance, finances have been brought up and that's, that's huge because a lot of our decisions are based on finances. And so, you know, Lisa, you mentioned, is it worth even going back to work? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to be telling and, and, you know, I, I pay for childcare. I pay for nannies too, because when I have to travel, um, my husband's working, uh, the grandparents can't watch, we have to figure something out. And it's, it's expensive. And, you know, I think Jonathan mentioned, uh, you know, you can increase pay, but these moms, they wanted to stay home. Well, what about opening up, you know, you have all these cafeterias in your buildings. What about there's a, there's a room that has childcare? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would change everything. The fact that you could just run down during break, say hi, say hi on their lunch, run back up to your office, handle whatever it is, especially because now we're going back to the office. There's some of these hybrid situations still, but just those options most definitely would make massive changes. Yeah. So instead of free food, we want free childcare, right? So where are organizations spending their money? or even a discounted childcare, right? So if right. you're going to be, in, you could pay into this program, the company program, um, you know, you have this childcare on site because it is expensive. There's risk involved. Uh, but I think nine times out of 10 people would want to do that because there's something that continues to come up in this conversation. And that is, uh, you know, your actions speak so loud. I can't hear your words. And we're setting an example for our children. Mm-hmm. We absolutely are. Now, I'm glad that you brought that up because a lot of organizations, right, you get benefits usually that come with your salary. And, you know, everybody needs a lot of those benefits, but maybe there's a way that we can honor parents and honor parenthood and give them an opportunity to, especially when your maternity leaves are so short. Let's talk about this because. I mean, Lisa talked about only getting three months, but now in Canada, right? Is it, is it, a, it's a year, right? I don't know. Cause I never took it, but <laughs> is it a year, Lisa? Yeah. Okay. So in Canada, we get a year for maternity leave. Jonathan, what is maternity leave in Australia? Uh, so it's dependent on the employer, um, but there's been a massive push to make it one normalized and then also offer paternity equivalents. I've seen some large corporates, Take that at a year, a year paid. 
Um, but the minimums for an employer, I think it might be six weeks or eight weeks um, for the primary carer. Um, and so it's it's wow. one of those things where we've had a massive amount of um, momentum behind changing the fundamentals of how employment works and then how um, companies respond to women who go on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's absolutely true. What, what, one of the things that um, absolutely necessary and um, something that you know we need to spend more time doing. Um, um, but in terms of um, what, one other thing to, to add to the mix um, that parents face is gr- grievance leave. I think Australia and possibly New Zealand's pioneered the idea that if you lose a child, you get time off as well. Um, and that was just passed through Parliament uh, here. I think it might have been started this year or, or last year. Uh, and that's and that's a feature inside parenting. It's one of those things that's so brutal and very rarely gets mm-hmm. spoken about, and definitely impacts on people's ability to work. But we just heard an amazing testimony there from Margot about how difficult it can be between functions as a parent. Well, if you've got parenting going on just with children that you're normally trying to manage and and live alongside and grow. Um, infinitely more difficult if you lose a child. Um, and so you can understand that employers who may not be creative in the way that Margot has described, which I think they really need to be, there should be should be discounted um, childcare for, for workers and, and you know, facilities for them. Um, there should also be ways to accommodate them if they go through trauma or loss as well. Yeah, and does that um, grievance include miscarriage? Or yeah, yeah, it so does. it's... Yeah, so it's it's any huh. any time that you're affected by the loss of a child, um, and that's um, like more obvious cases where like a young child is killed in say a car accident, those sorts of things, but it does involve miscarriage as well. And um, some of those rules I should stress are employer dependent. So some large corporations lead by um, giving more leave than is required, but some of the bare minimums are covered at a federal level uh, for us, which is really great. They've been enshrined in law across all employers. You, you know have, what would go ahead, Margo. I'm super okay. So I'm really interested though in the statistics, if any, on how many parents take the leave, especially men. And the reason I ask this is because I had to really pressure my husband, he's in law enforcement, to take leave after the kids. Huh. It was like he's like, Margo, that's career suicide. Everyone's making fun of me. Like I can't. And he, but he took it. And to this day, he's like, thank you so much for pushing me. My girls are everything. Like, I'm so glad I took this because I'm a daddy's girl. So I was like, you have to do this. But in law enforcement, and I'm sure it's going to be the same in a lot of industries, there's a ton of pressure for, hey, guys, why for you? Man up. Yeah. Oh, that just gave me chills. Yeah. I get goosebumps like multiple times in a in a blended episode. And that was that was the first time this episode. And I'm glad that you brought that up because there is maternity leave. There's obviously paternity leave. Um, and, you know, it's definitely something that we need to talk about. But Jonathan brought up a couple of good points, right? First of all, it's maternity and paternity and what the length of that is. Second, it's what is happening if we do go through some type of trauma and parenthood um, you know, from conception to, you know, till they're adults, there's a lot that can happen, right? There's a lot of different things that can happen. And I don't think organizations are taking that into account. And if they are, are they taking it into account as just maternal and not paternal? Because men have just as much to go through than the woman does. 
Um, and then Margo, with your point around what can organizations do to better support parents and make it easier for them. Now, Carolyn, I want to come to you because you have the perspective of not having children yet. What are your expectations on all of this in the workforce? Like, what do you want to see? Or if you're going to look to work um, at an organization, what are you going to look for? Because I think it's important that organizations know what Gen Z is expecting of them as they move into the workforce and decide to become parents. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think just from this conversation and what I've seen in the accounting industry, it's still pretty grim. Um, to mm. add on Jonathan's point, um, I was looking at statistics for accounting and most women continue to get their master's. There's like an incredibly more amount of women who get their master's, but then the C-suite is like majority of men. So these women are getting more education. They're doing more training than men. And then it's not really getting reciprocated when they aren't in the C-suite and they're not really as high. And that kind of makes sense in a way because women, I can't really, I'm not a data analyst, so I don't really know. But um, from what I see there, it's like, if you have kids, you're probably not going to be in the same level as men which is incredibly frustrating to me. And I think hopefully women my age are starting to think about that um, and starting to advocate for that. And when I'm looking for a job, definitely now, like that's why I picked the startup I'm working at now because I saw how they, we have working women who have kids in our company. We have just a diverse amount of people. And so as we're looking for jobs, I hope people my age are looking for that. But I know that it's definitely very competitive and people can ignore that when you're 22. You're probably not thinking about like what it's going to be like when you have kids, which companies are going to advocate for you, especially with trauma in situations that you can't really predict, like who's going to stand by you. So I'm mm -hmm. hoping the conversation just continues and that women continue to advocate. But I'm so disappointed in women's rights in America and I'm in America that it's like, I'm just hoping that change happens so fast because it needs to happen soon. And I'm hoping my generation stands up for that. And what do you think that uh, we need to do? Because I guess, you know, it's one thing to talk about what we want and what we'd like to see from employers. Um, but it's another for us to really take some action. And what can we do as individuals um, to sort of get those conversations started? What do you think? I think that's a great question. I think um, just from what I've seen, like it starts with legislation. So continuing to advocate mm -hmm. in that, continuing to try to ch make change and policy change is a really big deal. But it's also voting. Yeah, voting is huge. Who especially are you voting for? Yeah, which is huge. And I think it's getting better. Um, I worked in voting advocacy when I was in college. So that was a big thing for me. And just mm -hmm. continuing to have these conversations and for women to keep speaking out and still being very like when you're picking where you want to work, being being intentional with that, because a lot of people my age just pick the first job. And if it doesn't fit, they're like, oh, I'll just keep working here, even though if it, yeah. the culture doesn't fit right. So finding that culture that really works for you and continuing to advocate for that. But I know like change, it's all talk. So how to make that action is still really hard. And I'm hoping like with women who are advocating now that it continues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to go, thank you for that. I want to go to Jason, but I think Margot wants to mention something. 
I thank you. I was going to just throw that in the chat because you made a really great point. You know, uh, there is definitely stereotypes on being a working mother. Uh, you know, when recruiters reached out, uh, executives reached out to me and found out I was pregnant, the, you know, buck stopped there. Um, the questions of, you know, well, do you have support at home? All those good things. But the one thing that comes to my mind is a friend of mine in the industry, he's a VP and he's not married. He doesn't have any kids, but that man takes more paid time off than anybody I know because he loves to travel and he's into photography. Mm. So to me, it's about your hobbies and things that you find or could be distracting, right? So it's not necessarily, okay, she has children, so she's going to be distracted. They're, they're, of course, they're my priority, but to support them is also my priority. Yeah. Well, and I think you bring up a good point because at the end of the day, it it's also about the questions that we're asking people when we're recruiting them. Because we're like you just said, somebody asked me, asked you if you had support at home to help you with the kids. I mean, I don't know if we're allowed to ask that, first of all. And second of all, you're not asking that VP that you just mentioned about what his hobbies are and how how many days of vacation he's or unpaid leave he's going to take. Like there's yeah. a big disparity here, you know? Yeah. In asking those questions. Jason, I want to come over to you because you have employed, like you you manage, you've managed teams for a while. You have men and women both on your team. I'm sure you've seen paternity leave and maternity leave. And so talk to us a little bit about that. And um you know, is it working? Is it not working? What should, what, what should maybe we be doing more of? Yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> you know, it struck me as Margo was talking before about the, um, you know, working while she was on leave and even worse, while she was pregnant, getting ready to go on leave. So um, we have an employee here in our organization that is getting ready to go on maternity leave. And we were in a, a management meeting the other day and she said something that really struck me. She said, well, don't worry, I'm going to be available on Mondays. I'm <gasps> going to be working every Monday. And I sat there and I'm thinking to myself, why? No, that's wrong. You shouldn't have to be worried about your job. You have a teeny tiny human that you only get 12 weeks, which is ridiculous, to stay home with and get ready for you know, your re-entry into work. So I think, I think there's, you know, I, I don't know if stigma is the right word, but there's, there's a focus on productivity over parenting. And I, I think, I don't know how you go about changing that. I, I think Carolyn's got a, a good point in that legislation could be one way to uh, approach that, but um, you know, it's, it's it's a difficult uh, it, it's a difficult thing and um, you know to your point yes I've I've managed both men and women throughout my career um, and I have personally found the women that I have worked for uh, frankly they've been better than most of the men that I've <laughs> that have worked for me um, you know they're more and this isn't you know this is just the individuals that I've worked with they're more organized they're more intuitive. They're more um, in tune with the emotional aspect of doing business and developing relationships. They're more caring about the outcome of things. They're not as, as you know, bull in a china shop as, as many people say. So 
Um, I personally prefer to work with and around women um, because of those reasons. So so when somebody yeah. brings something like that up in a meeting where they feel like they have to explain themselves and be like, no, no, I'm going to be working. Don't worry. <laughs> don't count me out. You know, because that's really what they're saying is, you know, don't count me out. I don't want to miss out on anything. What are you doing as, you know, a leader um, in an organization to... I don't know, make them feel supported or maybe talking to your peers in leadership about how that person felt that they needed to do that. So what are we doing to sort of change that part of the conversation? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, in this particular instance, there's little I could do. This individual doesn't report to me. It's not a scenario where I have any direct control, but, um, you know, the ways in which I go about or did go about trying to counter that is, is talk to my peers and my fellow managers and the individuals that um, need this, this person's support and say, Hey, look, she's going to be out. We really shouldn't be bugging her with this. Instead of going to her, why don't you come to me, ask me the questions. And if there are things that we can't figure out, we'll ping her if it's that desperate, but it, it shouldn't be guys. This isn't rocket science. We're not, you know, (laughs) we're not sending people to the moon. Um, she should be able to take her time and, and be with her kids. So let's give her that space and let's work together to figure these issues out. So we don't have to bother her and she doesn't have to feel obligated to work on once a week for the next 12 weeks. Um, I mean, obviously that isn't leave, but you know, I, I think about the perspective that Jonathan just mentioned about, you know, being out of work and that time. Uh, where individuals are continuing their career versus being out. Um, And I get that perspective. I think that's, it frustrates me as an individual because they should be allowed to have that time and not go backwards in their career because they were out. So, you know, I, I think of it as if I got into a car accident and I was out for the next four months, would I be viewed the same way as a woman who had a baby mm. versus getting into a car accident? Good point. So, so, you know, it's, it's a tricky, delicate conversation, but I mean, I, yeah. And I think the difference is, is the way insurance views it. Cause if you get into a car accident, insurance pays for your short-term or your long-term disability. Yeah. It's very true. Having a kid is not short-term or long-term disability. So no, there's right. so much more support and so much so much more happening for somebody who has been through trauma like that than there is for actually people who are delivering humans. Yeah. Which is absolutely. crazy. Like that sad. is one thing <laughs> that if we can note in this conversation is that we definitely need to advocate for obviously and a lot of people I think do um, but we need to have more conversations like this. So we are thinking about those kinds of things. What do you think about paternity as a manager? So well, I'm I'm in favor of it. But like, what are you hearing about paternity? Because I feel like it's an internal struggle for men, right? Like Margo <laughs> was talking about, like, if I do this, people are going to ridicule me. But how do we normalize this? Because I think men deserve it, you know, just as much as women and for them to go off at the same time is a beautiful thing. Well, and especially, right, I mean, what about the point that if your wife is not working, there's even added pressure of why do you need to take time off? Right. 
That is true. Yeah, I don't know. It's a great question. I personally, I am supportive of it. I'm in favor of it. I wish that was something that I had access to and the ability to, you know, take advantage of when when my wife had kids. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough, like Jonathan, that my wife is her full time job is being a mom. So um, I didn't have to have a lot of the struggles that you know we're talking about today, or she didn't have to. Um, but you know, the fact that I wasn't able to be there and take the time that I truly wanted, uh, it, you know, it, it made me angry. <laughs> I wanted to be yeah. there with my wife and, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, obviously with your young child, but primarily for me, it was, I couldn't take care of her. She was going through something. My wife had C-sections. So, you know, it was a long road to recovery for her yeah. and I wasn't able to help her as much as I wasn't able to be there with my child. So huh. um, I'm a huge proponent point. of it. I don't know how we change it, but I think more companies should definitely be offering that. I think it would help potentially help recruit the right individuals with yeah, and the I right think, mindset. I think that's a great point that you make is, you know, it's not just to be with the children, but also to help your, your significant other. And I think your point there is, I didn't get the opportunity. So if you have the opportunity, take it, you know, don't, don't look at it as shameful, right? I think a lot of people, you know, look at it as shameful or feel guilty about it or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that if you're given the opportunity to be able to do that, I think your advice is, you know, take it. Yeah. Or if you have the courage to do what Margot's husband did and just do it and look at what she mentioned. It's something yeah. he, you know, he thought was a great decision. He would have never taken it back, but making that decision and the leap is, is hard. It's, it's mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So yeah, absolutely. So, um, oh, Jonathan, did you want to jump in? Oh, I was just going to say, how bizarre is it that we've all been children and if we wound back to being kids and you had asked a question to anyone, um, remember that time when your parents were working when you were a kid? How do you feel about that? I'm sure as adults, like think of the hours of therapy that a lot of adults have gone through and counselling that has been a result of traumatic childhood experiences, possibly centred around parents working too much, right? And here we all are as adults, like how quickly do we forget? And we get to adulthood and we have other adults around us who are struggling just as much as we are just to survive and navigate the complexities of life, not, notwithstanding a global pandemic and supply chains, shortages and other things which drive everyone crazy. And all of a sudden, we forget what it was like to be traumatised as a kid when one of our parents was working too much. And what do we do? Impose these ridiculous standards, barriers, uncreative ways of applying, you know, for work and those sorts of things. Like all of, all of a sudden we lose that sense of empathy that we wanted to have extended to us as children and wanted our parents to have that sort of break. Um, and we've, we've flipped the societal standard, which I think should be fought for. And in some countries, they very nobly fought, uh, fight for these things. Um, but I think for a lot of the, you know, Western democracies dominate the headlines and power a lot of the economies of the world, there's a real emphasis, as has already been mentioned, it's a great comment, on productivity rather than parenting. And I would just argue that if parents and if families are cogent, um, if they're together, if they can contribute, um, if parents have access to childcare and other benefits which allow them to work, their productivity goes up massively. Everyone benefits. Society benefits mm -hmm. significantly when we get families right. 
Um, and I think, as I've mentioned, there's a, a huge degree of a lack of creativity by employers to engage their people. And I'll just make a final comment and say it's because we don't value people. We don't value them. We actually don't value their time. We don't value their experiences they're going through. We don't value their difficulties. We're too fixated on the, on the bottom line or on the spreadsheet. And I would say there has to be a healthy balance for both because otherwise I think net-net we actually all lose. So that's interesting because work-life balance, we talk about it from an individual perspective, but it sounds like work-life balance actually starts with your employer and the organization that you work for. That's that's the one takeaway that I took from that. But also, I think the second takeaway is what have we learned from the generation before us? What do we like? What do we not like? And how do we need to change that? Right? So. Yeah, and I think like a classic for that at the moment is working from home. <laughs> working from home. Like how many times have you said the phrase working from home W-F-H. in the last 24 months? Yeah, as yeah, as as much as you've said you're on mute, right? Like it's it's the it's the you're on mute of the structural way of employing people. And I think the the fascinating thing about that, much like with my kids when they say, Oh, there's homework to be done, um, you've got a place where you normally reside and now work has started to encroach on that. Well, if you think about this in terms of the topics that we've been speaking about, paid parental leave and all these other things, and just as a point of clarity, you actually get 18 weeks of paid parental leave at the national minimum here in Australia, um, and they're looking to extend that to six months. Um, you suddenly realise that we haven't, we still haven't worked out how to manage two massive spheres of our life, this sort of personal sphere as we like to keep it, and then the work sphere. And we haven't really worked out how the two can coexist well. Uh, and I think it's a massive challenge for employers. But if you think about it from a people-centric value, we value people point of view, it shouldn't be this hard. I mean, mm. Jason's already mentioned that. It actually shouldn't be that difficult. And it really shouldn't. I think we just need to approach it as adults and keeping people within a, a sphere of um, respect and, and honouring them for their participation, but then giving them opportunities to thrive and not see it as a time where we have to differentiate between someone being in a car accident and someone raising the next generation and somehow put them on this unequal footing. I think that's just absolutely bizarre, isn't it? Um, yeah. so we've got a lot of work to do. And advocating well, internally too. I think we all need to take responsibility for not only advocating for ourselves, but also advocating for causes and other people internally within our organizations. Margot, sorry. You know, I I believe it says a lot about our society and the way that we treat our children. And if we really think about our children and them being future leaders and what they need to be solid future leaders, that's enough. I think, you know, you mentioned, Sarah, what have we learned from previous generations? And a lot of these were you had children and they were seen and not spoken to. That was me, you know, um, and so now we're realizing that they need that interaction. And, you know, for me, raising three young girls, I want them to see me wake up every day, get ready, go to work, uh, you know, ugh, sleep deprivation. It's going to change your mood, your schedules, uh, you know, your me, your me time, your alone time. It's, it's, it could be a thing of the past. Uh, you're going to miss, you know, field trips. Jason mentioned plays, uh, musicals. Uh, but you're going to multitask in ways that you never thought were possible and be able to prioritize it, but essentially lead by example. And so for me, uh, if something happens to me today, tomorrow, I want my girls to be able to uh, learn from what 
I have shown them and I want them to know that they can support themselves. And that's just perfect for me. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, you brought that up. I mean, there's, there's so much to this conversation. I feel like we don't talk about it enough and it's so interesting to hear each one of your perspectives, right? You know, for me, I, you know, being a stepmom, I don't have children of my own. Um, but like you said, Margo, I have hobbies, you know, I've taken unpaid leave to travel. I've done all sorts of things that I wanted to do. But I can tell you, you know, if the children that I was a stepmom to were, you know, I, I had the chance to take maternity leave, I would totally do that. And I think there's different scenarios. I mean, there's surrogates, right? You don't see somebody pregnant. Maybe they're having a baby by surrogate. Maybe they're adopting, you know, maybe they're a stepmom who's just stepped into the role and has to figure out how to navigate children. You know, there's all sorts of different scenarios that I think we pass by that people need support. They need time. They need to be able to take maternity or paternity or whatever that looks like. And it's not just after having a baby. No, I, I agree, Sarah. And I think that, you know, it's to me, balance reminds me of compromise. And I think it, it's not about balance. I like your word blended because life is just blended and it needs to be mutually beneficial and whatever that personally, you know, looks like for you. And so even fur babies, you know, I had I to put, two dogs, I had to put two dogs down, <laughs> you know, uh, before Thanksgiving, it was really sad, but oh. say that I couldn't be a mother and that's all that I had. And, you know, I, I, I think that I can't remember the company, but they have um, leave when you get a new puppy. And it was funny because a lot yeah. of people were making fun of it. But I said, you know, that matters to some people so much that yes. they would change their entire career decision based on that. You know, you see people that their pets eat better food than you and I. Uh, you know, they're in that stroller. They have like these gold diamond chains. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, is that you're looking to collaborate and really provide this type of community uh, for your employees and, and, and what better people we're going to be for each other. Yeah. And look at people holistically because parenthood can't necessarily happen for everybody, unfortunately. And who's supporting them? Who's supporting those who want to get a puppy? I mean, just saying, I mean, if I didn't have bonus children, I'm a fur mama. You know, I'd like to get some of that time off too, or I've decided not to have children. Where do I fit into this conversation? What can that look like for me as well? And I think looking at people holistically and, you know, the different life choices that they have, it's not about judging them. It's about supporting them, right? Jason, did you want to jump in here? I keep seeing you come off mute. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's because my my kids are in the oh, background okay. <laughs> making a bunch of noise. But um, no, I, I think Margo made a really good point about it being, you know, it's, it's what right for you as an individual. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, working from home, which I've done for 20 plus years, this isn't a pandemic thing for me, that gives me as much life 
work-life balance that I'm going to get, right? So I can step away and go do some stuff with my kids and jump back on at nine o'clock at night because I have everything I need here. And that works for me. Um, some people don't, you know, they, they want that firm wall between work and and their personal life. So I, I just like the point that it's individualized. I think it's, yeah. it's important. So. Absolutely. Jonathan, you have a question for Carolyn. I do have a question because Carolyn, you're watching the train wreck in front of you of the generations that have gone before. Uh, all of us <laughs> flailing, flailing around, just trying to do. Uh, and people say, you know, you never, you don't get a book with parenting. It's absolutely true. I'm being interrupted at the moment with kids doing who knows what in the background. Um, but as you look at the generations that have gone before, what's what's like one or two observations you have about how we've been navigating parenting and work? Because um, it's one thing for us to observe it when we're in it, but it's another thing for, for you and your generation and the subsequent generations to observe as you've been affected by it. And my question is, what have you observed and maybe pass on a couple of observations, um, maybe one thing that we're doing okay at and one thing we probably have to pick up our socks in? Let, let's, let's balance <laughs> it out, maybe one of each. If there's too many of one, maybe steer towards that, but, but try and add in something positive. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I think a lot of what I observed actually was already mentioned in this conversation. So I really empathize with Lisa and Margot when you talk about parenting and kind of leading by example in the workforce. And I definitely had that growing up. So I had a mom who was really strong in business and she was a badass who would go to work every day and show up. And I got to hear like her phone, her phone voice that everyone knows of their parent. <laughs> and so that was so powerful to me. But now that I'm in the workforce, like I'm so glad I was exposed to that because I feel like I have a strong voice and I like to do that. And I think people my age who saw their parents thrive in business have that strong voice and we have goals in business and in our careers and we're not afraid. But I also see that I set more boundaries than my mom. Yeah. And I'm like, if only you could set boundaries. Like, and I think that's the biggest difference generationally. And I know it's kind of like Gen Z's can be whiners a little bit, but it's like if we can set our boundaries and if we can learn that at a young age, it's so much easier for us to advocate for ourselves. And I even tell my mom that I'm like, oh, like clock off at five. You're done at five. Like work a nine to five. Don't work more than that. Like don't overdo it. And she's like, oh no, I have to grind. And it's like, if you can set those boundaries early in your career, that's kind of what I learned to do after seeing my mom kind of ignore the boundaries and not advocate for herself as much. So I hope my generation does that as we learn from the examples of our parents. I am so glad you brought that up because like, I'm pretty sure the generation that you're talking about is all on this call. <laughs> and I don't know about any of you, but I have struggled with boundaries. <laughs> um, you know, and I know the generation before us has struggled even more with boundaries and actually they've struggled with choice because they didn't have as much choice and as much freedom as we've had. You know, Margot brought up the fact that children were seen and not heard. That was me. There was plastic on the couch. If you went in that living room and did anything in that living room, like you were grounded for like three weeks. And like, we didn't really have TV. So like you were in your room 
Like you were not walking around the house. You were in your room. Um, you know, and I think when we also talk about looking at generations before us and what they were given the opportunity to experience or not experience really gives you a perspective as to where people are coming from. And I think when we think about the workplace and how we need to change things and what that needs to look like and how it needs to be a little bit flexible. Some people are going to be more okay with it than others. And it's because of how they grew up and what generation they're a part of. But I think it's about opening up and having conversations, you know, having that open mind, asking those questions, but also empathizing with the fact of where they're coming from as well is really how we're going to make that impact and move forward. And by you bringing up that point about boundaries, that's huge. Because Lisa, Margo, Jason, Jonathan, and I are all going, yeah, we need to do better at that. Yeah, I'm your mom going, no, it's okay. I'll just take the call at seven o'clock. It's, it's okay. I'm just going to take it. Because that's the way we were raised. That's the way we were, you know, we were brought up. And um I just, I think it's a really good point that we all need to be better at boundaries and we could learn so much from your generation who has watched us without boundaries <laughs> of what we can do moving forward. And I think those are the types of things that are going to help us make an impact um, with what we're talking about today. Margo? Yeah, no, definitely, Sarah. You bring up great points too. And I'm going to tie both of kind of what you guys said in together. So uh, my last company I worked for four and a half years, I commuted an hour both ways and I was in the office at least nine to 10 hours a day. And for the most of my career, I've been in field sales. So I'm able to, you know, flex my schedule. So my heart, mind, body, soul goes out to women, our material handlers, like people that work those holiday skeleton crews that cannot flex their schedule. I, I you know, I can't even imagine, but my point being is I worked with, so I'm 38 and there was three other people in that main office and one was 82, 84 and 68. Mm. And so I was in the office working with these, these amazing individuals, but wow, can you believe the differences? And so I had to navigate that. And, you know, they would talk about, you know, Margo, your generation just doesn't understand. We were in here on Saturdays and Sundays with spreadsheets, you know, and, 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 and whiteboards. And, and I said, but we have technology now. And unfortunately, technology has created this like overpowering. You could do it all every single second. So burnout is a real thing, right? Comparing despair. But my point is, no, it was supposed to be so that we could do a little bit of everything and have that blended lifestyle and so I don't need to be here on Saturday. I could do that tonight via Excel and email it over to you. Mm -hmm. And they would look at me, but it was that constant communication that you mentioned, Sarah, that you, you know, times are changing, but it, and let's utilize that change uh, as leverage to have more comfortable lives and just be healthier human beings, you know, mm -hmm. more holistic, like you said, uh, yeah. you know. And, and if you decide to work on a Saturday night, it's nobody's business. Exactly. That's my choice, right? But Unless you you're being asked to. I mean, that's crossing boundaries. Let's but just you get brought clear. That, but... that badge of honor. The yes. badge of honor of you didn't take any maternity leave or you worked through your labor. Um, 
it goes back to that, which I think the foundation is fear. And so if you work through that fear, you can really level up. Absolutely. Thank you all for that. I love this conversation. Lisa, I want to bring you into the conversation because I want to talk about transferable skills. I want to talk about how you help women uh, get back into the workforce and how you help them to think about getting back into the workforce. Because I know I was reading a story the other day about a mom being out of the workforce for four years, completely panicking about how to even get back in, you know, what did she need to, what, what has moved so forward in those four years that maybe she, you know, maybe there's technology that she needs to learn and, but what do I do? Right. She was like panicking. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? How do I get back in? So talk to us about the transferable skills and how you help women get back into the workforce, but then also talk to us about how organizations can better support um, women uh, during that time. Yeah, so maybe I'll just backpedal a little bit. When I, um, thank you, Sarah. So when I was looking to go back, obviously I had three kids. They were very, very young at the time. The oldest was, mm, I'm going to say 12-ish. Uh, the youngest was like kindergarten, okay? So so here I am, you know, trying to get back in. And um, honestly, I had three boys and I was looking like, you know, what's the plan? It's not only the plan for me, it's the plan for the kids. It's the plan for, you know, the grandparents. It's the plan that I'm going to present to the company that I'm applying to. It's got to be a full-fledged plan. Like Margot mentioned, like, who's going to step in if one of these littles is sick, right? Like, it's reality. You have three kids, they're, you know, you're dropping them at a care facility or, you know, relative, they're, they're going to get sick and you've got to have plans. So, you know, I've, did six months where we uh, were fortunate enough to have a neighbor who was a friend. Uh, she was taking in kids, giving them breakfast, putting them on the bus. So, you know, I was showing up at her doorstep at quarter to seven in the morning, three kids, backpacks, all the, all the gear, everything, you know, everything had to be in place. Like there was no room for error. I had to get these kids to the care center, you know, to this lady's house. She had to do her thing. I had to be back on that highway no later than, you know, quarter to seven to be at the office in an hour, an hour and a half. And then, you know, you're there and you're worrying and you're like, what if something happens? You're an hour away. And there's just so many, so many situations going through that journey of, you know, coordinating and, and balancing, like getting it blended, like Margot mentioned, like, it's just, you got to be full force <laughs> in plan of uh, backup plans. You know, what are you going to do? And then, it's also the employer. Like, thankfully, I had a great um, first employer when I went back. Like, they had an amazing uh, training program. And you're going to laugh, <laughs> but I appreciated it after being out of work for 12 years, you know, with our kids. They had training on phone systems. They had training on fax, on photocopying, on, you know, um, company policies, on you know, they even had an online university where you could do, uh, you know, product knowledge training on your time. They had portals that were set up for, you know, managing your time and they, they had job shadowing. They had they had so many good uh, resources. They had um, SAP training because I never worked on SAP and I was jumping back into the workforce trying to learn SAP in a very accelerated time. So, you know, employers can do these things. They can put these things in place to make the transition doable, right? And then, and then you know, it's a little bit of stress off you and, you know, you're, you're still new back into the workforce, but you've got some kind of support, right? So you've got your plans in place. You've got a, a good employer who's 
supporting you. You've got a backup system with relatives or alternative care situations. And then, you know, you've got to get those, like you say, Sarah, those transferable skills. How do you communicate that when you're going to that interview? Well, you know, all those things you did while you're home, time management, scheduling, um, you know, the logistics, activities, planning, like conflict resolution when you've got three kids and they don't want to do (laughs) what you want to do, you know? (laughs) So all those transferable skills come into play and you need to present them in a business-like manner that is going to show value to that employer, right? So I think moms have a huge battle ahead, but if we can help them out, put things in place, it can be a smoother uh, transition. So Thankfully, I only had to do that uh, route for six months, and then it was June, and we were off for the summer. <clears throat> Going back in September, I looked at all of them, and I said, okay, guys, we're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to try without care. The oldest was, you know, 12, 13, so able to watch them for half an hour before school, half an hour after school. But heaven forbid I got stuck on that 401 mm-hmm. more than an hour, and, you know, there was extra time that I'm just praying that the three of them are good. And and my kids are good. I'm lucky. They get along. But what about that parent that didn't have kids that got along, right? Like, yeah. You know, it, you gotta you got to have flexibility. Like, you've got a parent who's getting up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, loading three littles into a vehicle, getting, you know, battling, getting them organized, battling the traffic, battling the weather. <laughs> Nothing can be thrown into that mix where it just, it just doesn't work right yeah so you better hope and sorry and the anxiety that comes with that right like we don't we don't really think about you know every single part of somebody's day and how the commute really affects parents as a whole with the anxiety right I've got to get to daycare by a certain by a certain time otherwise you know who knows I mean hopefully they don't put them out on the street but like there's a certain time or I think they charge you like another $50 or something like that when you're already paying enormous money for daycare and things like that and so you know you bring up a good point I think there's just better ways that we can do this Yeah, I mean, I was thankful. I only did that for six months. And I honestly, that September, I just lined them all up. And I said, Hey, guys, we're going to make this work. You know, I'm going to phone you, I'm going to make sure you're getting out the door, we're going to set the microwave, when the timer goes off, you get your backpack, you lock the door, you go to, you know, you don't go down the path, because I'm not sure you're going to make it to school, you go down the sidewalk. And you know, then you're phoning them to make sure that they, you know, did they get there? Is everything okay? Like, and then you've got schools that, you know, they're not great with their attendance and they phone you and they say, Oh, so-and-so is not in school today. And you're losing it. (laughs) And then you're really not sure that your day is going that well. And then, you know, if you progress in your career, like I did three months in, I I worked, you know, got promoted, uh, got back into supply chain. Then I took on schooling. So on top of, you know, all that I was doing, I also thought, Oh, you know, I'm going to do my certification. Of course you did. Part time, <laughs> I'm going I'm to add this into the mix of already, you know, the chaos that's going on, and why not, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thankfully, you know, I had an employer that was supportive. So I think as an employer, we need to put things in place. Like, you know, if somebody wants to upgrade their skills and they're a mom, step in and advocate for them. Don't make it difficult. Like, you know, mm-hmm. say, okay, you know, is this related to your job or is this related to your job? Two steps ahead. Why should it matter? <laughs> you know, advocate for them. Help do you them think out. it? 
do you think it matters? Because as I hear you speak, Lisa, I have a couple feelings. One is I am so proud that you took all of that time off to be a mother and dedicated that time to your children because I didn't think and it would be possible in my career. And I was so focused on my career. And I, to make a long story short, I'm worried that I might have to take off when they're teenagers because my brother was so wild and he passed away, unfortunately. So I always wonder, I'm like, if I'm going to take off time off, it might be during their teenagers. But I want to just say that like you taking that time off is huge because, you know, I mentioned in the group chat when the one thing no one warned me about is that when you go back to work, you're going to, I mean, I felt like my heart was being ripped out of my chest and it was every time. Like I thought, okay, it'll get better the second one. I know what to expect with the third one. No. But then after week one, I loved it. People like seeing my coworkers and, you know, getting back into the swing of things. It was perfect. But those first couple of days felt like torture. And before that, I probably tortured my poor husband, you know, <laughs> with crying and freaking out. And, and, and the one thing that he told me I'll never forget was, well, babe, go back. And if you want to stay home, we can make it work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. But um, I wanted to share that. And I wanted to say, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, Lisa, is that I'm very jealous that you were able to take all that time off and, uh, you know, get back into the workforce success- successfully. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Lisa. Oh, just gonna say, I appreciate that. Thank you, Marco. Yeah, this is what these conversations are all about, right? I think a lot of times we keep doing, we do and we do and we do and we do and we actually don't realize the good that we've done or the impact that we've made or, you know, and just by acknowledging that, um, I appreciate that, Margo. Thank you for doing that. I have a question for everybody and I don't know how everybody's going to feel about this, but I feel like parenthood and the workforce or the workplace, I feel there's a lot of shame around it. And I want to know how you guys all feel about that. I'll start first. So I feel like I've been dishonest with you all. Okay. So my two-year-old is napping upstairs Mm -hmm. and I changed all my face-to-face meetings to virtual today because I knew that if I sent her, she could kind of go over that edge and we just don't have the time. And so I was just praying right now that she just naps really good and doesn't run down. Yet I see Jonathan's children and my heart just melts. And, but why can't I be okay with the fact that she might, you know, it's just, I'm like, should I have taken this at work? Like I shouldn't have done this. But then I thought, wait a second, this blended episode is about reality. So I'll be authentic, but I'm not going to lie. This whole time I've been really freaking out. (laughs) Oh, I like, look at what's happening right now. The truth is coming out people. And honestly, Margo, I am so glad Jonathan's kids running around in the background. And you saw when I saw little, was it Benji? I think it was. And I'm like waving because that's what this is all about. This is real life people. And thank you so much for sharing that. But please don't ever feel like that, man. parenthood is a a big deal well like i just add something to the mix and maybe people have seen it and people listening along uh if you haven't jump on youtube and have a look at sir ken robinson talk about education and how education is um the education systems that we've created are stuck in this post-industrial era where you go to a factory you wear a uniform a bell rings it's all rigid you're all in classes according to age um 
In the last 24 months, the world has fundamentally shifted and we've all adapted to COVID being in a post-COVID environment for the most part. Um, we can evolve quickly in terms of our practices and yet work is still stuck in a similar post-industrial age, like nine to five and schools are like eight to three or thereabouts in most Western countries. You're like, how is that ever going to functionally work as a parent when you're spring? to go to somewhere you're stuck in a queue with all these other frazzled parents who are guzzling coffee or chugging xanax just to survive and then you get all the way to the end of your day and you're like how do i even get from where i physically am like why has someone not invented teleportation i can't physically get from where i am with all of that traffic on the i-95 or insert name of expressway here to get to, and then all i'm thinking is that Every, what is it, every minute, I'm charging an extra $3 for childcare or whatever it is. And within a very short period of time, there goes the mortgage for the month because I can't pick up my kid on time. Like, I know this sort of thing is a reality for so many people. And we sit back, like, we, and I run a company and I've been involved in large companies, small companies, working lots of different, you know, government agents, the whole thing. Um, and we sit back and we think that's okay. Like, we, we think, we're like, you know what? People just have to deal with that. I'm like, why? change the fundamental way that we work i could work 24 7 if i wanted to and because technology allows me to do that and i can catch up when things go out of like i get out of hand i can put in hours out of out of hours i can do all those sorts of things right um and yet companies remain completely inflexible to anything that is really reality that we've all gone through you know being children and possibly parents or being involved in the family and i just think what what have we done if the last 24 months has shown us anything we can adapt quickly we absolutely can adapt quickly so for goodness sake let's adapt what the working week the working day looks like and accommodate people so that we can keep valuing people and i think if we fixate on that as organizations and as individuals we'll collectively be able to make some change but my gosh that, that exasperates me to such a high degree which is why, why i feel so passionate about it thank you so much for saying that jonathan and the other thing i want to tell you margo is you've got carolyn on this call and I'm pretty sure every single one of you have has inspired her. And Carolyn, you can talk for yourself, but I'm pretty sure with Jason with kids in the background and Jonathan with kids in the background and Margo, you being so vulnerable and sharing your truth with us. Carolyn, like how inspired are you today? I'm so inspired. And I think it's just amazing. Just all, every one of your stories is so inspiring for my generation. And I think it's just, it's amazing the things that, women and parents are capable of doing with children and that, you guys reminded me of the um the prime minister who brought her baby to the meetings i think it was the new zealand prime minister yeah. i can only think of that like if we could normalize that i think that's so powerful and i even think about the kids who get to see their parents in those meetings because they're going to want to be in those meetings they're going to be inspired by their parents so thank you so much for letting me contribute to this conversation hearing all of your stories Absolutely. And so I want to bring it back to what I was talking about shame. So on re resumes, we don't put that we have kids. We don't put that we're married. We don't put that we're single. We don't put that we're happy. We don't put what our hobbies are. Is this something that we should fundamentally change in the conversation around the workplace? Should we be a little bit more proud of it rather than ashamed of it i mean i know we show pictures of our kids or our no, dogs I, or whatever but sarah absolutely and, and these are the questions that are being asked 
However, I know for my specific role, I need to be able to relate to people. I want so I can figure out how we can relate and get along and collaborate. And so when my brother passed away uh, 10 years ago, uh, before that, I was a very close individual. I'm very professional to the point. But after that, and I took my leave, uh, took two weeks, I came back and I shared that experience with my customers. I really opened up, became authentic, transparent. You give what you get. Mm-hmm. You get what you give. And so by sharing these experiences as parents or these challenges that we're having, you're only going to get closer to the community that you want to collaborate with. So I think it's really important. Yeah. And I think we should share on LinkedIn. Like a lot of people are like, I don't want to post any of my family stuff on LinkedIn because I'm going to get berated because it's not work. But if the post is related to the fact that you are a happy individual because of your family and how supportive they are with the work that you do or how Jonathan's having conversations with his kids about how important it is that I go to work and yes, I'm going to miss a few things, but I still love you. You know, these are important conversations that I think we do need to put out there on a professional, you know, um, platform like like LinkedIn. I, I, I was going to say, I recently updated my resume and I said I was happily married. Um, I, I think when it comes to things that happen in your personal life, um, there should never be a distinction between who you are at work um, in terms of your character and the internal sort of things you value, all those sorts of things. Yes, your output does get affected, but there shouldn't be a delineation between your work self and your personal self. Like the reality is for all of us, if our personal lives are going well, we work well. And so, you know, I know this is the case for lots of people. If you've had a fight with your partner or if your kids have driven you crazy or like at the moment, I'd probably look a little bit haggard if people could see me on the call because I didn't sleep so well last night. All of that's going to impact your output. And so as an employer, if I'm concerned about your output, then I need to be concerned about your personal life. And if I can give you any latitude to have a better personal experience, I'm probably going to get the best out of you at work. And so the two need to intersect somewhere. I'm not saying employers need to baby their employees. They don't need to you know, parent them. Um, but at the very least, they should give them some degree of latitude or at least have a degree of respect around what happens in people's personal spheres because inevitably it leaks into work and then output at work. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa? Yeah, so it's just going to kind of add to what Jonah was bringing up. So yeah, like be proud, like be proud of that gap because like I've got it on my LinkedIn. I've got career break right on there and I've got 12 years and I've got lots of transferable skills listed under what I did during those times, right? And I've shared articles about, you know, talking to my boys about, you know, I want you to be there for that coworker who is not making that 30 cents on the dollar that you're making. Like I want, I want, I want to include that in my LinkedIn. And I do regularly post things about that. And I think it's important because that, that like Jono says, that's who we are, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm talking to my boys, I'm having conversations with them about what, you know, what I hope the future is going to be for the work world. Right. So yeah. yeah. Be proud of that gap, right. Be proud yeah. of you know, you taking some time off, but like you said, list the transferable skills that you actually learned during that time. 
so people know what you're good at and what you can do and what you learn. I mean, planning, I mean, planning is huge, right? And Carolyn, um, let's talk about you. I mean, you just said in the chat that, you know, people your age are, are scared to post about themselves and be vulnerable on LinkedIn. How important is it for your generation and how important is it for us to hear from your generation about what your parents you know, have kind of inspired and instilled in you and what you've learned what to do and what not to do. I think those are important posts as well. Yeah, I think it like it all comes back to, like I said before, boundaries, but also that vulnerability. So people my age have seen what's been posted on LinkedIn and they're like, oh, I only can post about a job update. And I've only seen so many jobs. Like I want to shake people my age because there's so much potential on LinkedIn to promote yourself, especially as a young professional. Like you can ask questions, you can talk about your hobbies and that's really how you make those connections. So it's like, as we learn how to be vulnerable on these platforms where they say you should be professional, that's really the only way to make important change and to advocate for people and amplify those voices of making change for important issues like this. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, this has been <laughs> an amazing conversation. I mean, I'm so glad that I brought each and every one of you together for this episode because we have unpacked so much. Like, honestly, if somebody's taking notes, which I'm sure a, a bunch of people are going to take notes of this episode, their pen is probably on fire because it's just like one thing after another. And I appreciate each one of you for being brave and having the courage to be vulnerable and sharing authentically and, and, you know, um, speaking your truth, Margo. Um, but what I want to do is I want to leave everybody with one thing. So what's one thing that you would like to leave the audience with either thinking about taking action on, um, something that is important to, for, for, from your perspective, is important to take from this conversation. Margo, I'm going to start with you. Awesome. I think that for me, I have to remind myself it's a daily mantra that the best views come from the hardest clients. That applies to everything in life. And so just remember when you're trying to blend your professional and personal life, it's going to be a hard climb just like anything else that you would blend. But the view, woof, it's going to be pretty hot. Awesome. I love that. And really, at the end of the day, it's about um, figuring out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And the only way that you can do that is to try and test and do and restart, potentially, right? Redo and, and try different things. Jason, I'm going to go to you next. All right. Um, I guess the one takeaway that I hope folks that are listening to this episode walk away with is um, not to be fearful to advocate for those that are in your professional or personal sphere. Um, you know, I, I've heard the word sponsor before um, in, in relation to helping someone advance their career. And I don't think enough people are um, willing to do that because they're more concerned about their own personal situation and where they want to be and where they want to go and how they're perceived. Um, you know, there's a saying, you know, high tides rise all boats. Um, and I think the more that we work together and support one another, the better our organizations are going to be. You're going to have happier, healthier employees that are more productive. So just 
advocate and, and be brave enough to do that, I think is what I would hope people take away from this. Very well said. Thank you so much for that. Lisa. So I think I would uh, like people to, you know, recognize that we're all at different stages and, and those stages involve different needs. And if companies can help with uh, those needs, then I think it's going to make a difference, but also to be proud of where we're at because we're, we're all at different stages and we're all going to move through different stages. And I th- appreciate what Carolyn uh, brought to the forefront about boundaries. I think we need to speak up and we need to be our own advocates as well as having companies advocate for us. So thank you so much, Sarah. Absolutely. Thank you, Lisa. Jonathan. Yeah, I I just want to say that um, your context is important. Your context is important. So um, companies will take what they can and organizations will and sometimes individuals will, but your context is important. So um, when you're talking to a coworker and they say, I'm able to work weekends, I'm able to work back like that's not your context. You might have a sick child. You might have a, a partner who has a chronic illness. Um, honor your context and fight for your context. And I think that comes down to a few different things. But first, it comes down to recognizing that we're all very bad at comparing ourselves. Uh, I heard that quite a long time ago that comparisons are odious. And I think that's absolutely true. Shakespeare probably said that. Um, And uh, I think when it comes to our individual context, it's not just about comparing ourselves. It's also about working out what makes us thrive. And it's different for every person. And so those listening along who have struggled with, and I absolutely empathise with this position, have struggled with defending their own context, um, take a bit of time out to work out what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but know that it's different from your coworker who seems to be shooting the lights out with their sales KPIs, or it's different from the CEO who happens to have all the time on hand because he's a young single guy, he's got, you know, doesn't have all the dependence that you have. Their context is different to yours. So just honour and defend your own context. Well, and I think um, something to think about on top of that is once you know it, you can better communicate it to an employer to let them know what that flexibility, what you as an individual holistically need to be supported in the role so that you can give that 100, 110% that they're looking for. Hmm. Right? Yeah, that's right. This is how I feel valued. This is how you can value me. This is the sort of time that I need. And if I can get those things, I can guarantee you I'll give you more than 100%. Yeah. Role. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Change that conversation. Last but absolutely not least, I want to I hear from the youngest in this group, Carolyn. Oh, my gosh. I think all of your takeaways are so important. And I'm just blown away by all of, all of your stories and all of your perspectives. Um, and I just want to say... For people my age, having these conversations early and learning to advocate and say these needs, like Jonathan said, is so important because we may think, oh, I'm not going to have kids for another five, 10 years. But if you can learn now whether your employer is going to be accepting of that and where you can advocate for yourself, I think that's so important to put yourself in the space to be ready and to be able to do what works best for you. Well said. And let's drop the shame. Let's drop the judgment. Let's be proud and let's empathize and use, you know, so many more positive emotions around parenthoods, about around parenthood, no matter what that looks like for you, because they are superpowers. Like you are all, you guys all have superpowers and parenthood is definitely not easy. 
But thank you so much to Margo, Lisa, Jonathan, Carolyn, and Jason for joining me today. You know, this is a huge topic. It needs a series, I think, in itself because, you know, we really covered a lot of ground here, but we also have a lot of work to do. And I want to thank you all for being so honest, especially in those really raw and vulnerable topics. So many people still don't believe that these conversations belong in the workplace, that mothers just need to get their heads down and get on with it or parents, but that's not sustainable. You know, it's a damaging approach that is going to harm all of us in the long term. So let's have these discussions. Play this episode in a meeting. Use it to start a conversation with a colleague. Go into work and ask how you can support someone. It's incredibly important and something I think we can all do better with. So don't forget, you can reach out to me or any of our guests on social media if you have anything that you'd like to add to what we've talked about today. And remember to join us again next time for episode 29 of Blended, when we'll be diving into how we can foster an inclusive workplace. It will be filled with more real life experiences and top tips. So make sure you don't miss it. And I'll see you then. Thank you, everybody for joining me today. Thanks, Sarah. Thank Perfect. you, Sarah. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Bye, guys.